the area of attachment. And that's why in the Gospels and also in the Epistles, we have different parables and a lot of verses that attack this passion of greed. Because what is very, very bad for humanity and also for ourselves is the misuse of property. Not to own property, but if I abuse this property, and if I abuse it enough, I can lose my soul, obviously. And St. Paul called, calls this idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Basically, when we begin to look at our possessions as our insurance, it's a very, very fine line, and we have to be very careful because we are, all of us are brought up in this materialistic society look out for number one and it is very very easy to slip from ownership into idolatry and St. Paul warns over and over again commend those who are rich in this present age because let's face it rich and wealth can only be useful in this age and not at the other age Commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Arrogance comes in with wealth. Not to be haughty. Not to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So basically we have to be very careful not to trust in our stocks and bonds and material possessions, thinking that I have plenty of things, I work hard, you know, I have plenty of wealth, there's nothing for me to worry. And that was the folly of the rich men, the foolish rich men, who was blessed by God and he had many, many possessions. His land did very well. And he thought to himself, I will build bigger barns. I will destroy the ones that I have, and I will build bigger barns. Up to this point, not a serious problem. But here's where he gets into trouble when he says, and I will tell to myself, I will tell my soul, my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Because you have this wealth, in other words, his entire, his entire trust was in his bigger barns and not in his wealth, and not in God, actually. And St. Gregory Palavas, with the light of the New Testament, come to tell us that do not steal, because when you think like this, you're stealing from the poor, when you're hoarding and hoarding and hoarding things that are necessary for you, when you have 10 coats and your neighbor is freezing and you're holding on to these, you are sinning. St. Basil and some of the early church fathers would say that if you have things that you do not need, but you continue to hold on to them, you're stealing from the, from the poor and for the person that has a need for this thing, but you are 
holding on to it because these things have become idols for you. So again, the idea of ownership does not go against the scriptures, but what goes against the spirit of the gospel is greed and attachment. Christ said about the end of the age, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What was the sin of Lot's wife? She liked her home very, very much. And most people like their home. We like, we love where we stay. However, her heart was attached to that home. And even though the angels told her, leave this town, this city, immediately, she couldn't because she was carnal. Her heart was attached to her nice things, to her possessions, to her beautiful home, to her draperies, whatever she had. And she looked back. And this is the temptation, the great temptation of wealth. Well, and St. Paul comes once again to warn that those who desire to be rich, and that's probably all of us because that's how we have been conditioned and how we have been brought up to become successful. And those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And St. Paul gives us the measure of happiness in our Christian walk. You have covers, and this includes a home. You have covers. You have a roof over your head. You have food to eat. Let's be content with that. And St. Paul says, I have trained myself to do with much and to do with nothing. See, the idea is right now we have a time of plenty. We have plenty of things. The economy is good. And I was talking to one of us today, and I mentioned that, you know, in uh, Lancaster, one of the wealthiest companies, and a lot of our Greek brothers work there, including a lot of my relatives, Armstrong. He just went bankrupt because of a number of lawsuits. This company, their shares were at $75 per share. It's now down to 75 cents. So somebody who had 50, 75, $100,000 with that company, they're wiped out. Now the question is, how do we respond to these type of situations. Do we need psychiatric help? If that's the case, then we were in the area of idolatry. 
again, we're not going to uh, celebrate. We're going to be upset. But if our trust is in God, when these things take place, we will withstand this type of catastrophe. It's only money. It's only finances. Money has no friends. Money has no friends. One day is in one pocket, and the next day is in the next. We all know that. So the Word of God says, do not steal. And we do have, as we mentioned last week, uh, in the area of murder, we have a number of forms of killing in the same way. We have a numerous number of theft, different types of ways that we can actually steal. The direct method is to go into a bank and take money or open somebody's house and also take what's there to actually hold somebody up, to snatch somebody's purse. These are the direct, method, direct methods of stealing, of course, they are immediately punished by law. We also have, I believe the law in this country punishes those that receive stolen property, receiving stolen goods. I remember a few years ago coming from New York and uh, usually people hide these things. Like they offer you something to buy on the street and it looks good. You know, you buy, well, this person, <clears throat> He was telling, listen, take this because I won't be here long. The cops are around the corner. He was even telling people that these things were stolen. <laughs> so, of course, when you buy something like that, you know, you are sinning because you're receiving something that is stolen. Another form of stealing is to borrow money and not return. That's stealing. You go and ask your brother, who might be doing much better than you. Let's not talk about the bank, because they'll go after you, and they'll take your car, they'll take whatever you have, okay? Uh, however, this can happen with relatives. You go to your rich uncle, or you go to your brother, even, and you say, listen, I need a couple thousand dollars because I'm a little short. And you mention that you'll return about $100 a month or in six months, and a couple of years later, you forget all about it. Ah, oh, he doesn't need it anyway. What's he going to do with it? He has so much money. That's stealing. That's stealing. You promise? It's a different thing to say, listen, I need money. Can you give it to me? I don't know if I'll be able to pay you back. You're being honest. And when we're talking about loans, uh, we are not as Christians. Let's not think that if somebody comes and says, listen, I need $10,000 because, you know, um, I need to open this business and I'm a few thousand short. We will not loan money for that reason. When the Bible says, when Christ says, loan to those who ask from you, he means loan them some money to pass their day. Well, they're weak. 
they couldn't work. So you won't loan them some money so they can feed their family and not to open a business for them. And by the way, when we loan someone some money, we have to be very, very sure and understand that we will never, if we will never get it back, it will not bother us. Sometimes we run into a lot of trouble because we trust someone and we give X amount of dollars and then we expect it back at a certain time. And then we put ourselves out of this. So not paying back loans, of course, it's theft. Even though we might not go to jail, was the person, or was John St. John of last week, if you remember that story with the bishop, he would have gone to jail, of course, but the bishop bailed him out. On that occasion, anyway. Another form of theft is to refuse to pay people's wages. And of course, there's laws against that as well. But in the past, a few years ago, before some of these laws were enacted, people could use someone to do some work. After 80 or 90 percent of their work would be done, they would say, I'm not happy with your work, so I'm not paying you. Of course, that's theft. And that happens all the time today with contractors and subcontractors. You read them in the newspapers. These things are very, very common. These things are uh, included in the uh, commandment of theft. All types of fraud, insurance fraud, this is theft. And also the violation against the boundaries of the neighbor's property. Again, we do have advanced laws today. We have uh, city planners that have these things out. But two, three, four hundred years ago, and even in some third world countries today, these things happen. Somebody goes away, they leave their land. And every year, the neighbor plows a couple feet extra, every year, and uses that land. And then after a few years, they put a fence. And the poor man comes back and finds a third of his land. This happens a lot. Especially in Greece. <laughs> so, so some strange laws there. Strange laws that if you are in a property for more than 15, 16 years, it becomes yours. I forget the term for that. It's adverse possession. Very good. Thank you. Some real estate law. Okay. Adverse possession. You know, we gave our home to a neighbor because they were very, very poor, and we left. We didn't need our home, so we gave them our home in Greece. Not a great home, but that's where we grew up. So I went to visit 10 years later, and I said, can I get in? I just want to see where I used to sleep. They would not let me in. They would not let me in. I could not believe it. I mean, these, these are people that we grew up with. <laughs> they would not let me in this house because someone told them that if they could have held out another four or five years, they would take it. So these things do happen, and of course, the law of God 
is very direct in Deuteronomy 27, 17, I believe, 27, 17, accursed is the one who moves the neighbor's landmark. Accursed. This is a curse to try to take an inch of brown from your neighbor's yard, let alone the entire house. Also, another form of theft is fraudulent or false scales, measuring scales. It says a pound, but if it's calibrated, it will only be 95% of the pound, then somebody is robbing you blind and you have no idea about it. Same thing, you know, we put $10 of gasoline in our car, and we trust, of course, that, you know, these meters are calibrated properly and they give us the exact amount of gas. Uh, in cases like this, of course, it would be fraud and illegal. Another form of theft is stealing inventions, ideas, patents, songs, poetry, to take someone's unpublished work and publish it and claim it as your own. St. Basil says, when you use another person's work, even a theologian, you will say that I am borrowing this from St. Gregory Palamas. The studies that we are doing these are not my thoughts or my ideas. We use the studies of Father Athanasius Medunales. And we try to mention this often enough because this work belongs to them. And we have their permission to use this work. St. Paul talks about extortioners. And by the way, all these peoples, all these people will not enter the kingdom of God. Last week, we were speaking about homosexuality or the week before. And we mentioned that, do not be deceived, a number of sinners, out of repent, were all sinners, obviously. But a number of people who do not repent of their sins, they will not enter the kingdom of God. And as we mentioned before, these were fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals. But it continues. Nor thieves, nor thieves, nor extortioners. And when we think of extortioners, or what? People that go out and uh, hold up somebody for ransom, or they abduct, abduct a kid. Of course, that's extortion. But how about monopoly? This is it not extortion? How about the oil company? When the prices of oil all summer long are 7 to 6, 80, 90 cents, and then all of a sudden, at the first drop of the thermostat, 10, 15 degrees, boom, what happened? All of a sudden, did their, did their labor costs went up? Are they doubling the wages of their, uh, of their employees all of a sudden? Ask their secretaries. Did they give you a raise all of a sudden? Is that why the prices went up 30, 40 percent? 
It's extortion. Legalized. We can go on and on all night about these different things. There's many, many different ways that a person can steal. And anybody who can say that uh, they have never stole anything, it's wonderful. But I know I have. <laughs> I don't know if I even confessed this. You know, I was probably nine, ten years old. And my mother sent me a couple hours away to buy cheese from this shepherd, Ms. Zipa. You know, that cheese is really good. Now, I was walking for about an hour and a half, and I was instructed to buy about a dozen of pieces. I went, and well, the poor lady was kind enough to give me an extra one. I'll take this extra one for your mother. Never reach my mother. I ate it. <laughs> uh, and who can claim that they never stole anything from the cookie jar? We all have. Studying these commandments to become sensitive to these things and try to improve because there is no depth. We do not exhaust the depth of a commandment. Do not steal as great depth. Honor your parents as great depth. Okay, so we don't steal, we don't go out there and grab money or shoplift. By the way, shoplifting is also stealing, of course. We don't do that, but we steal with our eyes. And just like we can commit adultery with our eyes, we steal the beauty that may belong to the wife of another person or to the husband of the other person. We sit there and we steal that with our eyes. And that's sinful as well. But again, these are obvious forms of stealing. But how about something not so obvious? Where I do not necessarily steal anything from you directly. But somehow, I begin to exercise a certain orientation on your mind. Give me an example. I was working at a restaurant for teenagers. Not a Greek restaurant. I'm not saying these things do not go on. I believe people have the same passions. But we had an older gentleman was an alcoholic. His payment was a six-pack of beer every night. <clears throat> that was his payment. The owner used to provide a, uh, an old trailer home in the back of the woods. The payment of this person was a six-pack on the weekends, you got a case. And again, I don't know if 
Mr. B, as they used to call him, uh, what caused this. But see, I can do something else. I can provide that for you, or I can pro provide that drug dose for you slowly, 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 until you become dependent on me. And then I don't have to steal from you. You're dependent on me. Isn't that what happens to all of us? We have a great thief in our homes. A great thief. And St. Cosmas the Apollyon said, in the last days, the devil will put a couple horns on the top of each home. The antenna, well now we don't have antennas, but we have cables. <coughs> so what happens by watching this thief that's in our homes, that exercises orientation on us. It's not just the commercials that tell you how to dress, what to wear, how to smell, what to eat, how many pounds to weigh. Not just the commercials. That influences a great deal. But it's the stealing of time. The stealing of time. That we invest two, three, four, five hours. And this thief keeps us from reaching our Christian ideal. When we watch even the news, and now the news can go on for months and months and months. For months. And some murders can play on TV for two years. We lose our time, and that's very valuable. And that keeps us from reaching our Christian ideals. We cannot exercise the other commandments. So again, we can see that, okay, the person is drunk, and now they're, but aren't we drunk as well? Try to turn your TV off for a week. See how easy it is. Can you do this, let's say, a week before Christmas? And two weeks, or even for 40 days for the entire Great Lent? Turn off your television set. It's very difficult. And if you do it after five, six, seven, ten years, Alex, You'll think the Pittsburgh Steelers are some kind of a street gang. <laughs> they are. The Philadelphia Eagles will be an endangered species. <laughs> because it won't bother you anymore. It will not matter to you. It doesn't matter. You will have time to yourself to spend and talk to your wife, your husband, your kids. And this evil has reached the last mountain of Greece. I visit my family there. 
Look at the television set that's in the kitchen, right there, <coughs> eating dinner and watching the news. It has destroyed the family life, basically. Not to mention all the shows that are on there. Now, what causes stealing? Why does someone steal? There are many causes. Of course, we have the kleptomaniacs out there. It's a psychopathic state. Somebody can be ill. But generally speaking, idleness. Not wanting to work. Not because there, there's no work around. Not because unemployment is extremely high. Not because there's a depression but because we just don't want to work. And by the way, we've got to keep our children busy all the time. We come home from school, give them something to do. Even ourselves, when we come home from work, we cannot just lay on the couch. We will continue to work until 11, 12 o'clock at night. We'll just change the type of work that we're doing. Clean the desk, kitchen, cook, all these different things. We've got to stay busy. An idle line is the Bell's Workshop. Another cause of stealing is laziness. Laziness. People, again, that do not want to work out of laziness. But I believe one of the main causes is the Greek word Pleonexia. It's a uh, composite work, word with the words pleon, more, and have. To have more and more and more. The have it all syndrome. I want to have more things. And more things cost money. You've got to have a bigger house, a bigger car, bigger this, bigger that. And of course, if there's enough pressure, then People can be forced to steal. I met a young man in Allentown who went to jail because he had to steal a boombox for his son's birthday because he was told, do not dare come home without a present for your son. The man went to jail. So, Pleonexia, or the more syndrome is a cause, the lust for more, but also the prodigal lifestyle. The fast lane, it costs money. Of course, prostitutes, drinks, dinners, all these things cost a great deal of money. Prodigality, drugs, alcohol, all these things cannot be supported by a simple paycheck. Gambling. Someone who's a gambler may be forced to steal at some point or sell his wife. These things do happen. What are the consequences of stealing? Of course, shame. Shaming. Today, uh, we are numb. Now we hear that somebody stole something. It doesn't it happen every day. Shoplifting? No. It happens daily. It's, it, it, we're numb. Again, I remember from the early years of my life, 
a person was caught on the island stealing chicken. It's not funny. Uh, he was caught. I mean, there was proof. They hanged those chickens on his neck and he paraded all through the city in broad daylight. And I know it's against human rights, probably, but these things did take place. In the Greek army, for instance, somebody would steal the entire, the entire group or battalion would go and spit in his face. And, of course, that would make an example of this person, and nobody else would dare to steal, at least for a while. Again, jail is a consequence of stealing. You can lose your freedom. But according to St. Paul, the loss of the soul. Thieves do not make it to the kingdom of God. People that steal do not make it to the kingdom of God. And as we mentioned, that homosexuality is a sign of the end of times. So is stealing. In the end of times, stealing will be like drinking water. In the book of the Revelation, St. John is kind of direct on that. When he is talking about the plagues, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not. Now, these are cataclysmic events wars towards the very, very end of history. And in verse 920, St. John writes, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons under idolatry is a sign of the end of times. They should not, they did not repent from worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, brass. By the way, you do not have to have a silver or gold statue. You have an idol. Silver and brass and money and all these things can be idols and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. So towards the end of times, people will be so perverted from sin that they will not be able to repent, even though that they see people dropping dead like flies next to them, because the Spirit of God will be away. And repentance, repentance is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So without God, we cannot repent. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries. You know how most of our presidents have an astrologer? That's true. 
they have an astrologer. Most of the leaders of the nations, they have their astrologers telling them which way to go and how to act. It's a given. Mediums. They will not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts, their thefts, their stealings. So, at the end of times, people will not only be immoral and idolaters, but also thieves as well. The Word of God gives us two examples of what would happen to those of us who continue to steal and do not repent. In the Old Testament, we have a very powerful example of what happened to the first thief in the promised land. Moses died, and now Joshua takes over. And God wants to show the Israelites that I am with Joshua as well as Moses. But now Joshua is the leader. So he instructs Joshua to take the priest to pass through the Jordan River. And in those months, Jordan River was flooded. And tell the priest to walk through the river with the Ark of the Covenant. And as the priest passed, they touched into the banks of the river. The water, they were knee-high water. The water split in two of the Jordan River. The water stopped. And the entire nation of Israel went through the Jordan River to show that, listen to Joshua. He's your new leader. And now God tells Joshua, I will be with you, and you will destroy all these neighbors of yours. The Canaanites, the Masorites, you will destroy all of them. The Amorites, I will be with you. And you can read these things in Joshua, how they took over Jericho without even, without even throwing an arrow. Nothing at all. All they had to do is they walked seven times around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And the Lord surrendered the city to them. But God told them, now listen, tell the sons of Israel that you will not touch anything you find in that city, not gold, no idols, nothing at all. Do not touch it. These things are accursed. The silver, the gold, the money you'll find, you will bring it and dedicate it to my temple. It belongs to God. <coughs> to keep them from being covetous. So they won the first battle. Now, the second battle is coming along, and here, the Israelites are 50, 60,000, strong army, and they're going against the people of Ai, which are a very small, very few people. 
And all of a sudden, 40, 50 Israelites drop dead, and now the whole army begins to take off. They lost this battle. And Joshua falls down and says, Lord, you told us that you would be with us. What happened? I am no longer with you. Because there's a thief among the people of Israel. Find him. Someone, someone took the accursed objects of the people of Jericho. So Joshua lined the whole army up. He divided them by families. And finally he found out that Achan stole these objects. And Joshua made him confess. And the Israelite named Achan says, when I saw the Babylonian uh, cloth, and when I saw a couple hundred shekels of silver and 50 pieces of gold, I coveted them. And I hid them. And now I have them under the soil of my tent. And they went and Joshua commanded to go and find these things and bring them in front of this person. And Joshua asked God, what should we do with this person? Stone him along with his sons, daughters, his oxen, his belongings, everyone. And a heap of stones was piled up as a mountain to show that thieves and the people of God will be punished likewise. So that was the first thief in the promised land. I'm sure it was not the last, but God only punishes the first to show an example. And we also have the same punishment in the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, in the fifth chapter, where Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of land. And they only gave a portion to the church, and they kept the rest. That's sacrilege. See, when we take something to the church, and we dedicate it, and we say that this belongs to the church. We cannot go and ask for some of it back. It is no longer ours. It becomes sacrilege. It does not belong to you anymore. So what is, of course they lied, okay, they were liars, but thieves and liars go together. But here, the reason why it was also theft. If you would give, you would sell your land and you give it to the church back then, now you have no property. So the church would feed you and take care of you. So this is how Ananias and Sapphira think. Let's sell this so the church will take care of us. 
We have security there. But just to be extra safe, let's keep a portion of the money on the side as well. And if they ask us how much did you sell your land, we will say so much. And of course, St. Peter asked Ananias, is this how much you sold your land? And he says, yes, that's how much. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You did not lie to men, but God and Ananias dropped dead. The same thing happened to his wife about three hours later. He was coming into the church area, very, very uh, happy about her donation, waiting to get praise for the rest of, from, from the rest of the Christians. And of course, instead of praises, was met up with the words of St. Peter. Sapphira, is this how much you sold your land? Oh, yes. The same feet that just dragged out the dead corpse of your husband will also drag you out. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So St. Gregory Palamas, in this commandment, tells us Let's not take things from people, but let's exercise in giving things to them. It is not the identity of Christians to take things illegally or lawfully, but to give. Because God knows the heart of the one that does things in secret. He knows everything that we do. But at the same time, he also rewards a hundredfold all those that instead of, instead of taking from my, our fellow human beings, let's become used to giving, giving. St. Paul says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, receive lawfully. have any questions at this point. By the way, next week, uh, Father Michael will be, do, uh, will be doing a study on the meaning of Christmas and the, uh, the theological basis of Christmas. He will study the Church Fathers. Some of the Church Fathers have done excellent talks on the, um, uh, on the subject of Christmas. And Father Michael will be teaching here on the subject, so don't let anybody miss it. Next Thursday night, same time, in this room. Yes, Steve? But taking from one to give to another. Robin like Robin Hood? Robin Hood idea. <laughs> and what about counting vintage, Chad? Oh. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't really raised in this country. I came here when I was 15. What, what is that? What does that mean? You're supposed to punch the hole through the boat. And it gives just a little indentation there when you count that in the boat. Oh! Of course. Don't go deep. I won't. That was a legitimate question. Yeah. I know, I know. Robin Hood. <laughs> well, yeah, the idea. The idea of stealing 
taken from the rich and given to the poor, it's theft. It's theft. We have no right to do that. We don't, you know, uh, we do not do that. Christ did not teach us anything like that. Yes, yes, the rich men, the young, the very, very young rich men, he says, if you want to follow, if you want to become a disciple, you want to follow me, sell it. You haven't given it to the poor. He didn't tell his other 11 disciples, listen, go steal from him so he can give it to the poor. Nowhere, nowhere Christ gives any idea such as that. The gospel is free. You want to give, you give. Uh, of course, again, politics do that. Sometimes they take from the rich and give to the poor, but, and sometimes vice versa. <laughs> but I don't, uh, I don't watch television, so I... I I'm very free from politics, yes. Uh, you didn't uh, touch upon the subject of tithing. If we tithe, and by the way, uh, that is a very good point, because one way to fight greed is by giving. We have to really push ourselves to give. And Tithing is something that was taught in the Old Testament. In the, and also the Pharisees, all the Pharisees, they tithe. Actually, they gave a lot more than 10%, the Pharisees. In the Gospel, if we're going to follow the Gospel, and we do not follow the Gospel, let's not get ourselves. None of what we have is ours. Everything belongs to God. So we don't just give 10%. We have to train ourselves to give whatever we don't need, more than 10%. But we don't necessarily teach like this right away, because some of the people in our audience are not ready to accept these teachings. But that's what we have to really strive for. Because... Uh, 10% is what the Pharisees used to give. And Christ says, but unless your righteousness uh, is higher than that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And righteousness in Greek means your virtue. And that means all our virtues should really be higher than the minimalism of the Pharisees. In other words, I give 10% to my church, and that's it. I'm done. I'm finished. Okay, and tomorrow, let's say that my church burns down, and, uh, you know, we have no insurance, let's say, and uh, we need to build a church. I'm going to say, well, I'm already gave my 10%, so I don't owe you anything else. No. In the same way. I mean, we, if, if your child is suffering, your mother is suffering, what are you going to do? You're going to give whatever you have. If you have it, you're given. That's the Christian idea. Let me start slowly. And St. Paul says, very psychological, this is very, very good. You want to start training, training ourselves. Let's not wait till the end of the year to tithe. It's extremely difficult. Because we're like this. We hold on. Okay? St. Paul says, put a certain portion aside every week. 
See, it's very easy to give $50. Take it from your money and separate it. Take whatever you want to give. You have the strength or your, it's in your heart to give 10, 20, 30, whatever you give. And again, we don't have to give it to, let's say, sometimes uh, in Protestantism, they stress that you have to give 10% to this church. That's not necessarily true. You will give your general philanthropy. You can give it to this place, that place, to the church, to a poor person, to a sick person. What do we usually ask our spiritual father? But it's an excellent practice to put aside so much every week, and then once you separate it, it's no longer yours. And have it separate from your other money. And when you do that, you slowly attack the demon of greed. So you don't look very difficult to give $1,000. But it's not that hard to separate yourself from a $20 bill. Because you do it slowly, every week. We push it aside. And with this, with this, uh, we make friends with the injustice of mammon. Christ says, make friends with the injustice of mammon. Because, let's face it, money does not come with, yeah, in many, many cases with honesty, but even when we go to work. Can we sit here and tell ourselves that, you know what, I work, uh, 3,000 minutes a week, and I never cheated my employer even for one minute. So there's always that chance that there's some injustice in our income. Christ says, make friends with the injustice of mammon. Take some of this money, put it outside, give it to the poor. So when they die and they go to heaven, they will be waiting for you. They will be praying for you. Hopefully that answers the question a little bit. Well, I think uh, in, in my view, if you don't give uh, from your heart and give what you can to the church, I think that you're stealing from the church. St. Basil says that, you know, basically. But again, um, a person who just repented and became a Christian, a few, uh, a practicing Christian, two, three, four months ago, I believe, if the church begins to preach day in and day out, 10%, 10%, it alienates these people. And I've seen that happen as well. I just want to let you know that out of the thousands of teachings that Father Athanasius has done in Greece, would you believe that not a single time not once in these cassettes of these 15 years that I follow his teachings, not once he asks for money. And yet he has one of the biggest monasteries in Greece. Because if we plant the seed, if we put Christ in the heart of that person, if we work and we take care of the vineyard, then I believe the grapes will come. But it takes time and hard work. And then when that person, when Christ sits in the heart of that person. He will come by himself and not only give five, six, ten percent, he'll give his shirt off his back. Just like a lot of our Maris and uh, our Christians do. Any other questions on this? Uh, I want to, uh, to say something to the previous question concern. Uh, we 
have saints who have not the doors of rich persons and they give money to distribute to the poor. St. Nicholas did that, our saints. In other cases, uh, rich people have turned even saints down, like in Hokulakos. I mean, it's um, many cases where uh, the rich persons need a little motivation. Let's give this to them. Knock on their door. But if they <coughs> do not respond, you're not going back. Uh, when you cannot help someone that uh, really is in need, and, and, and you would like to help, and you know, friends, someone that, I mean, really is in a position of helping, uh, say something, a word. And this was a practice that was followed in, in, in the saints, the last of the saints. Saint John the Christian did that. He used to have sermons after sermons against people that quoted up, uh, you know, weak, and uh, it's great sermons like that. About the rich man of Lazarus, he has pages in them. And of course, this will motivate people. But again, we always teach, we, we knock on the door, yes, you know, but it, it's, they have to give it. We cannot, you know, we cannot force it out of them. Basically, <laughs> At all times in every hour, you are worshipped and glorified in heaven and on earth, Christ our God, long in patience, great in mercy and compassion, who love the righteous and show mercy to sinners. You call all the celebrations that come from good things to come, Lord. Receive our prayers at the present time. Direct our lives according to your commandments. Sanctify our souls, purify our bodies.